<laughs> it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. That's all I know of the song right there, but I got that part down. Jada tried to get me to sing along and jump up here, but I resisted the urge, even though it was really tempting. I got to be honest. You see, despite my oftentimes humbug demeanor about Christmas, I, there's so much love about this time of year, isn't there? I mean, I love the Christmas in the air. Now, the last couple of days have been more soggy than crisp, but generally you get some crispness in the air. I love that. I love the songs the kids are singing. I love the carols that are familiar. I told Roger, I said, we need to do a Christmas hymn sing, Christmas carol sing with that orchestra that we did a couple of weeks back and just do Christmas songs. That would be so much fun. I love sweaters. Anyone, anyone already got their Christmas sweaters out and you're ready and you've already tried a few of them on to see if they still fit from last year and you've taken them to Goodwill and then you've gone and bought new sweaters for this year. Anyone, anyone in that camp? Yeah, yeah. I love sweaters. I love the Christmas trees. They don't even have to have decorations. I like the lights. I just like trees with lights on them. Love that. Love the hot chocolate. Hot chocolate fans here. Love, love the hot chocolate. This is a little controversial. Eggnog. I love eggnog. How many of you guys are egg in the eggnog camp? How many of you guys are anti-eggnog? Oh, see, I feel like you've not had the right eggnog. Isn't that what they always say? Well, you've not tried my eggnog. So I've got to be honest. I've only had, like, virgin eggnog. I've never had, like, the, the hard stuff. Um, I don't think. <laughs> I may have been slipped to Mickey once or twice in my life, but I don't think it was with eggnog. So I don't know about the, like the hard eggnog, but the soft eggnog, oh my word, delicious little cinnamon nutmeg on top of it. Put that in coffee as a coffee, oh, I'm just telling you what, what's not to love about this year except for Christmas tree lights? They're horrible. Last couple of years, I'm like between the tangled up mess, the bulbs that don't work, the last couple of years it's like once I use them, recycle them, I'm done, they're out. We're going to start fresh every year with Freshly unpacked lights. I have confidence in them. It removes one stress and anxiety from my life. Now, here's the deal. If you've got the perfect way to wrap and preserve these lights, that's great. Five people after the last service talked to me about their special way. And I said, well, if you got your special way with lights, I've got my special way with eggnog. We'll trade recipes. I don't need to hear it. I don't like Christmas lights. I, I like them when they're on your house and on your tree, but I don't want to mess with them myself because my Christmas ornaments, I don't know what they get up to between the time I take them down and the time I put them back up, but they're throwing some epic parties there inside that box because crazy stuff happens. I don't even recognize half of them when I pull them out. I go, where did these come from? They've invited friends over. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm like, mm -mm. get rid of them. Let's start fresh. The only thing more stressful than Christmas lights oftentimes are Christmas presents. Like, who do I give? What should I give? Uh, and if it's with family, sometimes you're buying gifts for your niece's second cousin. It's like, uh, I don't, who are these people? Will they like it? I don't know. Do I care? I don't know. Will they pretend to like it? Does it matter to me? I don't know. Sometimes our emotions surrounding Christmas are as tangled up as those Christmas tree lights. And then there's your personal stories and family relationships and all the drama that this kind of season can bring and the expectations and the pressure we feel to make it perfect. 
<sighs> Our emotions are as raveled up as those lights. But unraveling them begins with just finding one end and starting there and bit by bit unraveling that mess. Today, you may be in a bit of a raveled up, tangled up mess yourself when you think about all the stuff that's going to happen or not going to happen, things that you wish could happen but are just not going to happen this year, and our emotions, our responses to the season can be very tangled up, can be very emotional, can be very confusing, and sometimes we just need to start at one end and start to work our way through it bit by bit by bit. And today, the end of that light rope for me is this very simple truth, and if I can grab hold of that end, then I can slowly make sense of the rest of it. And the end that I'm talking about today is this truth that is, that is just permeating God's word from the beginning to the end. And this is the truth. You are deeply loved by God. You are deeply loved by God. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to Isaiah. Isaiah is, is close to the middle of your Bible. If you get to Psalms, which is sort of in the middle, go to your, go to your right, and you'll get to Isaiah. It's a, it's a thick book, so you, you're, you, you'll probably find it. We're going to be in the chapter, in chapter 63 of the majority of the time. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 63, that's where we're going to be. I want to pray, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you for, for the kids who sing their songs and the spirit of Christmas that lives on in these, in these children's bright faces. It is Christmas time, and we want to sing fa-la-la-la-la. But oftentimes, um, what we end up singing is oh, me, oh, my, rather than fa-la-la-la-la. So today we pray that we would, we would sense your heart and what you want us to know this Christmas season. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am done with my Christmas shopping. Yay on me. Took all of 43 seconds in front of the Aldi's Christmas, um, uh, the, the gift card kiosk. You've been there in front of that? They got plenty of options. I like all of them. Just hint, hint. Um, it took me 43 seconds. My Christmas list has gotten shorter over the years. I remember, though, when it was harder. You had teachers. You had mailmen. You know, I've got a dog groomer. Um, there used to be the guy who would who mow the yard periodically. Not enough to, like, do you need a gift? But enough to go, I probably should do something. <sighs> who do you start with? Who do you end with? The dry cleaner? Did they get a gift? I don't know. And then there's those people on your list. You think, do they deserve a gift? I mean, really, they're, they're just difficult. Times, you think about them and do they, are they going to appreciate it? Will it be the right color, the right size? They're not going to say thank you. In fact, there's probably a good chance they'll go, eh, put it on a shelf or take the receipt and exchange it for something else. And you're like, why bother? Because gift giving can be messy and confusing and like Christmas lights, uh, just it can be tangled up. But you do it. You do it. Even if it's just a gift card, you do it because, because these are people generally that you love and appreciate and you want to let them know that you love and appreciate them. Today in Isaiah, uh, he's talking about the people of God who God loves um, and he says this in Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 and 9. It says, I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. 
Yes, many good things he has done for Israel according to his compassion and his many kindnesses. And he said, surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their savior. And in all of their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. And this is the story God tells throughout that Old Testament portion of our Bible. Isaiah is talking about people who've experienced God's graciousness and goodness. Just the love and care he showered on them. How he led them. How he protected them. How he delivered them. Kindness after kindness. Mercy after mercy. Faithfulness after faithfulness, new every morning, the psalmist wrote. And God says, surely these are my people who will not be false to me. Surely they'll appreciate what I've done for them. And yet time and time again, they shrug their shoulders or just outright reject him. In verse 10 of Isaiah 63, Isaiah writes this, Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned and became their enemy. And he himself fought against them. Isn't this our perspective sometimes? Looks like God becomes the enemy here. Like he was fighting against them. Have you experienced that in your own life? I know some of you have. Where you love and love and love on people, and yet that is not returned in a healthy way. And so you establish some good relational boundaries and guidelines. And what happens? You become the enemy. You are now the bad guy. Man, it's discouraging, isn't it? It's disappointing. If it was the FedEx guy, well, who cares? If it's the dry cleaner, well, just do it at home. But when it's people you deeply love, it can be disappointing and discouraging. And God was disappointed in how they received his gifts. It's tempting in situations like that just to strike people off your Christmas list. Just as easy as I toss those old lights out. But despite how they may treat us, we still love them, don't we? We still love them. God, our creator, sustainer, deeply loves us. In Isaiah 54, 10, he says, The mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed Don't call us the enemy. Don't call me the enemy. I'm not your enemy. I love you. How deeply does he love us? Well, he loves us despite our mess, and we all have them, don't we? We all have our messes. The sad truth that a lot of us are like those knotted up uh, Christmas tree lights. Those Christmas tree lights seem to have a mind of their own. And back in chapter 53 of Isaiah, Isaiah sort of says, we are like those Christmas tree lights. He says, we're all like sheep who have wandered off, gotten lost. We've all done our own thing. We've gone our own way, and we've ended up as knotted up, as tangled up, as messed up as those Christmas lights. God loves us, though, despite our mess. He doesn't toss us in the trash. He doesn't strike us from the list. In Jeremiah 31, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. An everlasting, unfailing love. In 
And I've drawn you with that everlasting, unfailing kindness. In spite of our unworthiness, in spite of our mess, in spite of our ungratefulness, God says, I love you and I will be your savior. Not because we're worthy, not because we deserve it, of course, but because he loves us. There's something that I'm fond of saying. I'm fond of saying this. Loved places become lovely places. Loved places become lovely places. It just happens. And I believe this is also true. Loved people become lovely people. God says, I know, I know you're a mess right now, but I can see what, I, what can happen if you will just let me love you. And again, it's not because we have anything lovable about ourselves, really. First John says this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Despite our mess, God loves us. We are deeply loved. So it's not just despite our mess, but even the middle of our mess, right there in the thick of it, where we're just slurping around in a hot, soupy mess, God loves us in that. The scripture says he steps into it with us. That's the truth of the incarnation. When Paul is sharing the good news of Jesus with the Jews who are living in Antioch, he says this, God has brought to Israel, brought to you, the Savior Jesus as he promised a long time ago, back in Isaiah. God is fulfilling this promise. When I look at these nativities, that's, that's what I see. The infant Jesus, Mary, Joseph, the, the wise men, the shepherds, all of those. And, and, and our, our vision of this is oftentimes informed as much by our own culture as the historical context. But it really doesn't matter. Because these guys right here remind us of something very, very powerful. That God loves us. He showed up to care in the middle of our mess. And the world that he entered into was as messed up as ours. And God says, I love you. And I'm willing to come into that place. He didn't come as a superhero savior either. He came as a small infant needing love and care. Just like we do. We need love and care. Helpless. <laughs> just like us. That passage in Isaiah chapter 63 where he says, in all their distress, he too was distressed. He, he owned our mess with us. He comes into it. He experiences it personally right with us. How personally? In Isaiah 53 it says, he takes up our infirmities. He carries our sorrows. He is pierced for our transgressions, and he is crushed for our willful dis disobedience, our deliberate sins. God enters our mess. He knows our needs, and he knows how to address them. And if we let, let him, he will, he will take that jumbled up mess and begin slowly but surely untangling it and bringing it back to something that is beautiful. In the middle of our mess, we are deeply loved.
And he, he loves us through our mess. We all go through sludgy times. God loves us in those, but he also loves us through them. Unraveling a tangled up string of lights seems like it takes up the, the first three weeks of December when you're in the middle of trying to do it. But really, even the most tangled up ball of lights, five minutes tops, and you've got that thing unsorted out. Our messes may take a little longer than that. They're not an overnight fix, generally. But God walks with us through that process. He holds our hands through that process. And he brings us from the middle of it, out of it. He brings us through it. He sticks with us. Talking about your family stresses, and and you guys have some big family stresses. I know them. There's a part of me that is tempted when I hear that to say, you know what? You've done enough. You've put yourself out long enough. Walk away. Just be done with it. Just, just wipe it clean. You're over. You're good. But the Spirit of Jesus inside me, <laughs> there's always a check, isn't there? The Holy Spirit always speaks to us. And the Holy Spirit says, the Spirit of Jesus says, I never leave you. I have never forsaken you. You see, he loves us so deeply that, that even in the middle of our mess, he takes us by the hand and he starts to walk us through it and out of it. He doesn't toss us away. He doesn't give up on us. One of the most impacting things about my time with uh, Missions of Hope in Africa was seeing firsthand how this idea of the incarnation is lived out right there with the men and the women and the children who live in what, what many consider some of the worst slums in the world, the slums of Nairobi. They call that place their home. They live there. The teachers, the doctors, the social workers are invested there. They are are the presence of Jesus right there in the middle of that mess. And I tell you, walking along with them through the, the, these muddy, nasty, you can imagine that, stepping over open ditches just with raw sewage in them, running through the streets, and to watch them and how they interact with the people who live there. And they know their names. They know their kids' names. They know what they do. They know the drug dealer. They know the prostitute. They know the, the woman who is trying to take care of her kids by selling used shoes on a blanket out by the street. They know her. They know the guy that's cooking something on a grill. I didn't try it. But they do. Hey, let's have a meal together. I know you. They know what it's like to step into these tiny little, tiny little rooms that families of five or six call home. They know what their kids are going through. They know what the mom's going through. It is a chaotic mess that those people live in. And part of me was like, why don't you take this amazing facility and move it out where the air is clean and the sewage systems work and there's sidewalks and streets and wouldn't that be better to get them to a place where it's healthier? And they're like, there's no way for them to get there. They can't get there. So we go to them. And we show up where they are, right in the middle of their mess. That's how we demonstrate the faithful, deep love of Jesus. 
Romans 5.8 says that when we were utterly helpless, when we were living in our own filth, when we were surrounded by our own chaotic mess, when we had the spirit of hopelessness just waiting down on us, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. The God who loved us despite our mess, the God who loves us in our mess, and the God who is committed to love us through our mess loves us. What he begins, he sees to completion. Why does he do this? He does this because we are deeply loved. You are deeply loved. Now, let's be honest, there are times where I need to be reminded of God's deep and everlasting and abiding faithful love for me. Generally, I'm going to be honest with you, it's when things get jumbled up inside my head and my heart that I tend to retreat from God. Does anyone else do that? It's like, okay, God, i got to get this sorted out before I do some interfacing with you. And sometimes it's, it's just turning away. Other times, I tell you, it's like that little two-year-old kid whose wet shoestrings are just knotted up so tight you can't seem to budge. And they're just fighting and just screaming and mad. And you try to reach in to help and they start kicking. Get away. I can do it. I can do it. Anyone have kids that did that when they were growing up? I know your kids. Yes, they do. You who can help untie that tangled knot, you who can make sense of that very frustrating situation, well, you get pushed away, and they have to live in that for a while till they give up. You see, the truth is that I think we don't experience God's love when we keep him at a distance, and we experience God's love when we open our whole life to him. Jesus has done exactly that. He has opened his life for us. John says, the word became flesh and lived among us. He dwelt among us. Right here in our mess. That's what it means to deeply love. There may be someone here who needs to know that love. Maybe needs to experience it fresh this Christmas season. Because Christmas, life can get pretty tangled up. But today, the first step in unraveling sort of the mess that we find ourselves in is finding that truth at the very end of your rope that says, I am loved. God loves me. And despite all the other stuff, that is something I can hold on to. And if we can hold on to that truth, God can slowly start unraveling our messes. But it requires that we hand him that jumbled mess and say, here it is. I, I, I've, I've messed it up bad. I've messed it up bad. You, you, you take this. And then let him begin to just enfold you and embrace you in his love. He deeply loves us despite our mess. He deeply loves us right in the middle of our mess. And he deeply loves us enough to take us through our mess to the other side. I'm going to invite Darren to come up. Darren called a couple of weeks ago, sent me a message, said, hey, I've got this idea for a, a communion meditation. Is there a chance sometime in the near future I could do it? And I said, well, what's it about? And he goes, it's about, it's about love. I go, yeah, I think there is a time that we can do that. So I'm going to let him share what he shared with us at 930.
try my very best not to cry much, because um, what I want to share with you is really personal uh, to me. Um, but I don't know if you're aware of it, but um, back in October, we had Trunk or Treat, and we had hundreds of people come through for Trunk or Treat, which is amazing. Um, I didn't say it this morning, but I'm going to say it now. Um, we have really amazing um, pastoral leaders here that do some really amazing things. And to have hundreds of, of kids and, and adults come through, um, to have the opportunity to interact with them um, is really quite spectacular. Uh, and it's a, really, it's a God thing. But as the kids came through and we saw all those costumes and things, they were goblins and there were scream things and um, you know all kinds of bloody messes and those kinds of things because they intend to be scary. But this morning what I want to share with you is, is this. There is something in life that is the absolute most terrifying thing that I can think of. And it's, it should be probably one of the most uh, scary things for all of us. The scariest thing in life today is when people believe that they're not loved. The absolute most frightening thing is when people believe that they're not lovable. And I work in the school, so I see kids every day. And I see kids that I know that as they're going through the hall and they're, they're, the way they're behaving and the way they treat people, um, a lot of it is because, if not most of it, is because they don't feel loved. And they don't feel like they're even lovable. This morning I want to share with you, because I was a lucky kid, I had an amazing grandma. Um, Raise your hand if you had an amazing grandma. Anybody have an amazing grandma? Um, I'm sorry if you didn't. My grandma was um, one of my caretakers as, as a kid, and I got to go spend a lot of time at her house and, and just hang out with her and, uh, and just be taken care of by her. This is her trunk um, from her house. I actually got it from uh, my mom. I kind of stole it from her. Um, but it's really cool, and I wish, and I, she, I know she probably can't, um, but I wish she knew it's one of those moments, right? I wish she knew how often we've taken this trunk places and shared the gospel with just this trunk. Or how often we've taken and shared it just uh, an event or an opportunity with just her trunk. Um, it's pretty cool to think about that. But my grandma, I like to stay there. Um, and I like to get to stay overnight. My grandma had the best blankets. Um, she had a, a, an upstairs and there was a stairway that came down and then there was this little hidden closet in the uh, underneath that stairway and that's where she kept all of her blankets and so all of us kids we get to go in there and pretend that's our fort I think that's where my love of fort started and so we would go in there and I just get to hang out in grandma's blankets um, if I got to stay the night she had this airplane bed that she would roll out for me and then she would go and get one of those blankets and then when it was time for me to go to bed she'd put that up and and wrap me up in that blanket and, and I knew that in grandma's house I was safe and I was secure I knew that she loved me um, the other thing that she had, if I can dig it out of here, um, she had a corner cabinet, an old wooden corner cabinet, and I'm thankful that we have it now. Um, but in the back of that corner cabinet, she had a Tootsie Roll bank. And my grandma didn't have a lot of money. She, she really didn't. I'm not sure, honestly, how she made it sometimes. But she put change in this uh, Tootsie Roll bank for us in that cabinet. And when we would come over and, and stay... We would go, I would go anyway, I would go in that corner cabinet and shake it just to see how much change was in there. And I'd say, hey, Grandma, do we have enough to go to Kmart today? And she would take me and go, you know, buy a dollar, a 50 cent thing, which you could do back then. But um, I always thought that Tootsie Roll thing was for me. She, she just took good care of me. I think, you know, the most important thing, though, that I have of my grandma's is her Bible. Um, 
I'm not sure why nobody took this or if I just got it um, by luck or, or whatever. Um, but I'm really grateful to have it. I get to go in and I get to see her handwriting. And I know how important God's word was to her. Um, the biggest way that I know my grandma loved me is because she shared this word with me. You know, my grandma was special in that if people in our community when she was alive needed to pray, they called my grandma. Um, I think she had a special connection with God because it just seemed like when she prayed, God did what she said. Um, she's amazing. And I'm thankful to have it. But I think the most important thing that she ever shared with me was she said, you know that God made you. And he designed you. And he has a purpose for you. And I know it because he sent his son to die for you. He loves you. And you have a hope because there's a resurrection of Jesus. Today, I think that a lot of people are struggling with the idea of whether they're loved or not. And I think it really impacts us. For me, the struggle is this. The enemy gets in my ear and he talks to me. I'm not saying I'm crazy. You may think I am after this. But I really think I hear him say, you're not loved. You're not lovable. You're not safe. You can't trust God. And then I, I go down a, a bad path. And I think we all do that at certain times in our lives, right? So this morning I'm going to have you do something that's going to be kind of weird and kind of unusual. You can stay in your seat to do it. You can take a knee if you want. I encourage you to stand up. But I'm going to have you repeat something for me. Recently, we had this thing called cognitive behavior training here, and we went through it, and there was a piece of that that jumped out to me that I've got to say these things, and I've got to get up and say them every day, and I've got to say them until I believe them. I've got to say, I am loved, I am cared for, I have value, and I am secure. When we came out with our, our brand in the beginning, I'll be honest, I was a little iffy on it, and I wasn't quite sure what it meant or what it could mean until Tim shared it on Facebook. But to, this morning as I sat back there, to me, that S in the middle of that circle talks about my security in Christ. So this morning, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I know it's weird. Here's the hardest part is that we did this for our men. And men came back this morning and told me we challenged our men with this. We said, I want you to go outside right now. I want you to put your hands up in the air. And I want you to say out loud. I am loved, I am cared for, I have value, and I am secure. And I had guys come back this morning and tell me when you put that out there, that was hard for me to do. We've got to get up every morning with the confidence in Christ that we are loved. So will you do that with me this morning? I'm just going to have you raise your hand. You can stand up. You can stay seated. You can take a knee, whatever it is that you need to do. But I'm telling you, and I'm not being prophetic here, there are people in this room that have had trouble doing this this morning. There are people online that have had trouble doing this this morning. And we've got to get up every day with this confidence. I want you to say, I am loved. I am loved. I am cared for. I am cared for. I have value. I have value. And I am secure. And I am secure. Heavenly Father, this morning, thank you for my grandma. Thank you for the things that remind me of her. And thank you for the things that remind me of how much she loved me. This morning, as everyone sits here and, and, and holds that cup of juice in their hand and holds that bread in their hand, dear Heavenly Father. Remind them in the name of Jesus that they're loved that they're cared for, 
that they're not alone, that they have value. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.